All right, you may have a seat. Now, before uh, we begin, there needs to be some context to Romans chapter four. Um, because Romans four is not the beginning of the book. Before chapter four, there was chapter three. And so, um, in chapter three is really important to chapter four because chapter three is where Paul actually makes his argument. He lays out this case that humans cannot save themselves, that we are unjust, and everything we do is tainted and um, with sin. And then he makes the case that it's only by faith that we can be saved, that there's no works that will save us. And in verse 31, he says something um, that's important. He says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And so many people will take this passage that we're about to read and separate themselves from the law. But the reality is, is that through faith, we uphold the law. We are not lawless. We follow God and worship him because we have faith in him. And what Paul is doing here in this verse and in this whole section, really, is he's taking faith and works and putting them in their proper order. He's saying faith comes first. You are saved by faith, and then we do the will of God. So um, let's begin here. We're going to look at verse 1, and we're going to see just exactly how the gospel really does humble us. Paul asks a question. He says in verse 1, he says, What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? And what Paul's asking here is, how was Abraham justified? Was he justified by works, or was he justified by faith? And it's not an accident that Paul chooses Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jews. He's a huge uh, figure in the Old Testament. And every Jew um, could point their lineage back to Abraham. But if we read ahead to verse 16, which we're not covering this morning, um, we would see that he's, actually, he's the father of us all, actually. He's um, the father of all who would believe. And so in many ways, Abraham's the model of what it is to be saved. Now, Paul asks this question, but he doesn't give us the answer right away. If you look at verse two, he says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And so he kind of gives us the negative. He says, this is not what it is. Abraham was not justified by works, because otherwise he'd have something to boast about. And this reasoning is, I think, difficult for me. I had to wrestle with it a lot. Um, Because if he did justify himself, if Abraham was this outstanding character where he did everything right, why would it be wrong for him to boast? But I think the key is in the end of that verse where it says, but not before God. And what Paul is pointing out to us is that um, our understanding of justification, what it is to live rightly, is way too small. We think that a lot of times we think that if we just live and keep these laws and do morally upright things, then sure, we should go to heaven, right? That's the common thought, that um, if you're a good person, you go to heaven. But what we're doing when we talk about that is we're minimizing God. We're making him too small. God is holy and perfect, and we are inferior beings 
compared to the ultimate superior being. We do not deserve under any circumstances to ever stand in the presence of God. Um, the holiness of God is <laughs> so vast that um, it would be an insult for us to think that we could somehow be good enough to stand before him. And this is really where the context is um, that I was talking about in chapter three comes in. We're gonna turn back to chapter three, verses 10 through 18 in just a second. Um, but as you turn there, I'll explain. Um, what we're gonna look at there is Abraham, I'm sorry, not Abraham, Paul, is describing to us the natural person in this section. He's describing the person who is born and of the flesh and um, does, isn't saved yet. This is how we all are born. And it describes all of humanity this way. Paul says in verse 10, he says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is, uh, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So the simple truth is, is that when we think that we can somehow live in such a way that we're good enough, that we can boast, um, then what we're doing at that moment is we're taking away glory from God. Um, and so it's selfish. And this is the selfish heart of man that Abraham is, or that Paul has just described. I'm getting that name mixed up. Um, but that Paul has just described. It's our natural um, human depravity. And this really is the depths of human depravity. Everything we say and everything we do is tainted by sin. And it's because of this depravity that it's impossible for us to justify ourselves. It's impossible for us to be good enough to stand before God. Now it is possible for somebody to think that they're saved, that by going to church and by paying their tithes, by taking communion and being baptized, that they're saved. But the problem with this is that these actions don't save you. And this person has faith, but it's placed in themselves. It's placed in the wrong object. So you see, the problem isn't that they don't have faith. The problem is that it's in themselves. Instead of in Christ, who died for them, who paid for their sins, they are trusting in themselves to be holy and righteous enough to be in the presence of God. And this really does swell us up with pride. Um, oftentimes we don't notice it because pride is one of those sneaky things, but um, it does, and that gives us something to boast about, and we do boast about it. But in doing that, it is, it is sin in itself. And so we cannot boast. Um, we are unable to boast within ourselves because when we stand before God, we see just how, how sinful we really are. Um, and apart from Christ, apart from believing the gospel, we're just, we're guilty. There's nothing we can do. And I think that when Paul wrote verse two, 
he had chapter three in mind again. So if you wanna look at 327, he says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. And so there was nothing in Abraham that he could boast about himself. Um, the law never saved him. Living righteously never saved him. And this was the law before even Moses was given the law. The law of God has always required faith. Even in the Old Testament, the saints were saved by faith. And still are. And so, because we cannot boast, and Abraham couldn't boast, the glory belongs to God alone. All of the glory goes to God. Um, yes, I have to say, I've been waiting for an amen from Roger for forever. So, <laughs> got it. <laughs> um, all right, but yeah, the glory does. It belongs to God alone. God is the creator of the universe. Um, all of the glory that is in creation belongs to him. And by definition, God is our superior. There's, there's no way we can compare to him. In fact, every good thing that we do, every good thought that we think, is done because he has given us the mind to think it. And every good word that we say is given because he's given us the breath to say it. And every good action that we do is because he's given us the body to do it. Everything in the universe glorifies God. And all the glory belongs to him alone. And so because we understand this, because we know that we can't save ourselves and we know that God alone is worthy to be praised, we Christians should be the most humble people in the universe. We have nothing to boast about. We boast in Christ. We should be humble. But beside making us humble, the gospel also gives us faith. And really, scripture is the means that directs our faith. Um, if you look at verse three, which is where we're gonna be in just a second, um, Paul still doesn't answer our question. He doesn't say how Abraham was justified yet, but he's about to. He begins by asking one more question, though. He says, for what does the scripture say? And I just wanna stop there for a second because that's significant. Paul was an apostle. Paul could just speak and his words have apostolic authority. Paul could say this is the way it is and we would believe him. But Paul doesn't appeal to his apostolic authority. He doesn't appeal to the understanding of the church throughout history. He doesn't turn to a philosophical argument or the science of his day. Paul turns to scripture, he turns to the word of God and his mind is directed by what scripture says first and foremost. Scripture is the ultimate authority for Paul. And it's this doctrine that scripture alone is the ultimate authority that every great theologian throughout history has fought against the heretics. That's how they've defended the faith. Athanasius, Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin. They fought against heresy by holding to scripture as their ultimate authority. But now, let's see what he says. So what does scripture say? In the rest of the verse, um, Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6, and he says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him 
as righteousness. There it is, it's so simple. Abraham believed God and he counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified by faith. It's just, it's so plain, it's laid out for us. It doesn't say Abraham worked and was justified, it says he believed and was justified. Now, somebody might be, try to be clever, like I thought I was at one point, and they might say, wait a minute here, Abraham is taking his faith and putting it in God. Isn't that a work? Isn't he doing something there in himself? And I thought I was so clever coming up with this. Um, um, this was a long time ago. But anyways, um, and the answer to that really is no. Um, and I bring that up this morning because it is significant. Um, believing in God is probably the only thing we can do that is not an act of ourselves. It's the only thing um, that we can't actually do on our own. Um, if, w- if you remember what we read in Romans 3, there is no one who um, seeks God. There is none who desire him in any way. Um, and if we turn to one of Paul's earlier letters that he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, the natural person does not accept the things of God. I'm sorry, the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So we have this inability, if as a natural person, without the Spirit, um, to understand God, to actually take our faith and put it in God. We, we can't do that, according to Paul, because we're, we're just natural men. We don't have a spiritual nature to us. And it's only through hearing the gospel through the spirit that does work in us, that makes us alive, that we're born again, as John 3 describes, that our hearts are made to favor God, they're turned towards God, and it's really the work of the spirit and the gospel that our faith is put in Christ. And so this is significant, because there is nothing we can boast about, not even within our deepest inner part, where we might say, wait a minute, I put my faith in God. No, no, the Spirit made you alive and your faith is in God. And so for this very reason, faith is a gift from God. Um, We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. If you look at verse four, um, Paul writes, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And so if we worked for it, it, wouldn't be a gift. It's a pretty simple principle, really, right? You work for something, and then you get paid. You don't get a gift. You get what you've worked for. But there's the contrast. In verse 5, he says, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's beautiful. This is the gift. This is, this is it. It's, salvation is a gift. And there's only two types of people, according to Paul. There's the people who work and try to justify themselves, and there's the people who believe, and, well, they don't work to justify themselves. We do good works, but we don't work to justify ourselves. And so there's only these two types of people, those who try to be saved through works and those who believe that Christ paid for them, died for them. Now, If we did work for our salvation, what would we deserve? What would be our wages that would be paid for us? It'd it'd be hell, right? Like, that's 
what we get for trying to say that we can be as righteous as the God of the universe. That's what we get for trying to say that we are as good as a perfect and holy being. That we deserve to sit on his throne with him. It's only through grace that us inferior beings get to be in the presence of a superior God. And it's only through Christ and the inheritance that we receive through the gospel that we are able to sit on his throne with him. Now, if we turn back to Romans 3 one last time, um, and we start in verse 25, this part is significant. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be the one who is just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so there's, there's two things here. Um, first, God is both the just and the justifier. Um, God is righteous in sending people to hell because they deserve it. That's a just act on God's part. But he is also the justifier. He is the one who makes us, who declares us righteous. Um, he's the reason that all the saints in the Old Testament weren't just burnt up before Christ um, because if they got what they deserved, they would have been in hell right away. But instead, he was patient, looking forward to the gospel. And it's only through Christ that the saints in the Old Testament and the saints in the New Testament are saved. Now, in our last three verses, six through eight, um, Paul is gonna refer to David, who is another saint in the Old Testament. And David's wonderful if you read the Psalms. Um, but um, we're gonna see here that the gospel also gives us joy. It makes us humble, it gives us faith, and it gives us joy. And so, um, Paul writes, just as David also speaks of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And really, I think there's, there's three things here. Um, the first one is that we're forgiven. <laughs> that's, that's what he says. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That, that's a great blessing. That's that's the blessing we want. We want to be forgiven. We don't want our sins to be counted against us because it doesn't end well if they are. But our sins are forgiven. And the second blessing is that our sins are covered. We are blessed, um, I'm sorry, yeah, and it says, and whose sins are covered. Uh, we are blessed because Christ did die for us. Our, our sins are covered, we are covered by nothing less than the blood of Christ. That is the covering atonement that um, declares us righteous, that God looks on us and he sees Christ instead of seeing us. Instead of seeing sinners, he sees his son. And that's beautiful. That's a blessing indeed because instead of being enemies of God, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but instead of being enemies of God, we are um, seen as children of God. And the last blessing, the third blessing here, is that we're reconciled to God. 
He says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, our sin offends God, right? It offends a holy God. It makes us enemies of God. But if God doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, count our sins against us, then we're no longer his enemies. Instead, like Abraham, we're called friends of God. We've been reconciled to God. And no longer living as um, enemies, we are now obedient to him. We're now his friends. We now live by faith. And so this, these blessings, this blessing of being saved, justified by faith alone, um, in Christ alone, <laughs> by grace alone, right? Um, according to scripture alone. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and this blessing is what makes it, makes us happy. It's what Christians should be the happiest people on earth. Um, because <laughs> we know we don't deserve it, but we have it. We've been given permission to pray to the Father of all things. Um, and it's this, this blessing that makes every trial through life <laughs> completely different for the Christian. When we're faced with um, fights within our family, with division, when we lose a job, or whatever, whatever happens to come at us, um, we know that we're still saved by faith in Christ. We know that when we feel unloved, that we are loved, that we have been loved by the king of the universe and that his son has given all of himself for us. And I have a confession to make. A lot of times, I think little of the cross. I don't recognize how, how big it is, just how every part of my life is a blessing because of the cross of Christ. And I wonder if maybe you guys do that too when, when you find it difficult to forgive somebody. But when we've been forgiven of everything in light of Christ, like, do we really think that our holding back forgiveness, that our, our, um, yeah, our forgiveness is worth more than the forgiveness of Christ? Like, no. And, and at times, I, I, I still sin sometimes. I don't know if you do. Um, <laughs> um, but at times I feel distanced from God. I feel as if my sin has done something that somehow makes God love me less. But the death of Christ is more valuable than any sin I could ever commit. It's, it's worth more than anything all of humanity put together could ever do. He is the son of God and he gave his life. It's of infinite value. And so for me to think that my little sin can somehow distance me from God, separate me from the love of Christ, man, who do I think I am? And if we skipped ahead into chapter eight, we'd see that neither life nor death, nor heaven, nor hell, nor powers or principalities, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And for this reason, we as Christians should be the happiest people on earth. And for this reason, we also give all the glory to God because he deserves it. He alone is worthy to be praised.
So we're justified by faith alone, and we give all the glory to God alone. There's nothing in us that we should boast, but there's everything in Christ that we should boast in him. So let's pray, and then we'll continue in worship as we sing and give glory to God who has saved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. You were so good and so great and beyond our imagination. You've loved us with a deeper love than we can ever comprehend. There's nothing in us that can save us. It's only by your grace. It's only through faith in you that we're saved. It's only in Christ that we are saved. And it's only in the scriptures that we truly see um, and have authority um, to believe. And for these things, all of the glory belongs to you, God. So turn our hearts. Let us be transformed by your word. And let us give you all the praise and worship. In your name, Jesus, amen.